0: well i think the main thing with the seven that i could relate to is that you're constantly thinking about the future not necessarily planning you're just dreaming it's difficult for me to be present reading about the types and we were coming across the seven I could really relate to it but then I got hung up on the seven was they don't like uncertainty they don't necessarily take risks all the time they don't like to be uncomfortable And Kristen and I immediately looked at each other and were like, well, that's not me at all. I live for uncertainty. I thrive in these situations where there's just a ton of risk. There's a lot to lose, but there's a lot to gain. And I was like, I'm not a seven. So I just kind of sat in limbo for a while until you and I had lunch. And you said, can I ask you a question? Do you quietly go about getting what you want? And it just like, my mind exploded. I think I replied with, that is my life. Every day I wake up and I figure out how I'm gonna get what I want. And generally people don't know that I'm doing it. And even a lot of the time, I don't know that I'm doing it. It just happens.
1: The story enneagram podcast i'm jim gum and i'm an enneagram trainer and coach living in kansas city today we're going to hear from some self-preservation eights as part of this season's series on the self-preservation subtypes the self-preservation eight is called satisfaction they're quiet focused and lion-like this type of eight doesn't seem very eight-ish to others because they're not as loud or demonstrative as the other subtypes of the eight Their type becomes evident when you witness their strong internal drive and confidence. Simply put, the Self-Preservation 8 is an acting subtype of an acting type in the acting center. Acting, acting, acting. No drama needed. Have you ever wondered why some people seek permission for their actions and others don't? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation eights to understand how their bias towards action allows them to pursue good things for themselves and others in their life. As you heard John share in the opening, self-preservation eights connect their desire with a focused pursuit. Ashley tells a story about buying her first car.
2: Yeah, I think the eight is very much a power through type of number. You just... Muscle, And typically, there is no way where you are going. And so you're just creating the way as you go. And that showed up for me in a ton of different ways. I was the caretaker for my brother because both of my parents worked, my dad had three jobs. So I was figuring out how to make dinner, making sure he got his homework finished, making sure that we had, you know, lunches and things ready for the next day. A lot of first, bought my first car. Most people take their parents with them to make a purchase like that. I wanted a four-door not white uh Infinity G35. I researched it for like Four to six months, printed everything out. I had it in a big folder. I walked in there. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'm willing to pay for it. And they were like, well, this is what your monthly payment is. And I was like, stop talking to me in payments. I'm talking about this being a price. This is what I want to pay for this car. Um, at the very end, the, a manager came in and was like, you are not our typical buyer. I just had to figure it out. I didn't, the self sufficiency thing was really, really important for me. I wanted to do it myself.
1: Listen to Dave as he tells a story about his relationship with sports.
3: You know, I think about it in terms of being active versus passive. You know, I'm a terrible spectator. (laughs) So, you know, when I think about being a spectator, that's often, you know, knowing things about current movies and celebrities and sports stars and all that. And I have no knowledge of it because I don't spend any time engaging in trying to, you know, listen to it or or be part of that. So, you know, it comes across, of course, that when you get in small talk conversations, I have to work harder at other things that I can engage with people that either you're meeting for the first time or don't know very well or whatever you're trying to, you know, establish some connection. I'd rather go play any sports than watch a sports event. Even though I love sports, I'm really not a good fan.
1: And here's a fun example of how satisfaction showed up in Ashley's interaction with her husband.
2: We have some other conflicts. Being an eight, that satisfaction thing is there. I like to have a backup of everything. If I run out of sweet Thai chili sauce, there better be a backup in that pantry. And he is not that way. And so I just vividly remember one time him standing there, like opening up the pantry door and going, can we just run out of something one time? And I'm like, no, I am a failure. If we have run out of this, that's it. Like
1: we- Eights have agency. They reside in what's called the command and control center of the Enneagram, where we find types eight, nine, and one. If there's a leadership void, they're glad to fill it. If someone doesn't step up to the plate, they will. If someone doesn't express a stronger opinion, they can get their way.
0: Here's how this showed up for John when he was younger. I just remember as a kid, it could be as simple as like all my friends wanted to go see a movie and five different movies were thrown out. And I threw out my opinion. And nobody kind of really took the lead to make the decision. And I was like, okay, well, I would make my case a little bit harder for my movie. And some people were kind of on the fence or whatever. And I'm like, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm gonna go see this movie. Who wants to join me? I found myself in a lot of situations in school settings or whatnot where I would try to sit back and just observe. I call it just reading the room. I think eights are really good at reading the room, waiting to see if someone was going to take charge. If it was pretty clear to me that no one was, then I immediately fill that role because I want to anyways. Now, when I was young and really, honestly, till about five years ago, I was very bad about giving people space to potentially lead something. Whether it's as simple as a movie or, hey, where do you guys want to meet for dinner tonight? I used to not give people any space.
1: Ashley has always gravitated towards leadership roles because it comes naturally to her. Here's her experience at work
2: you are tapped a lot. You're tapped a lot for special projects. You're known as someone who can execute, someone who meets deadlines. You are committed. You're loyal. I mean, a lot of really good things are associated with that. My level of responsibility when taking on a project and the need for self-sufficiency in that of owning it is so high that most of the time other people's self-sufficiency or responsibility does not really rank where mine is. Most of the time, I feel like others are less committed than I am.
1: Here's how Dave described handling shared expenses with friends on a
3: recent trip to Europe. You know, one of the things that, that came up, I think, in terms of challenges and just getting it done How are we as four couples kind of going and we're traveling in groups and we're, you know, eating together, some things we're doing together. How are we going to do the expense thing? And I just said, hey, I'll just take it, take it on. You guys tell me your expenses. I'll, I'll take care of it for us. So I just kept track on my phone. Hey, if anybody paid a group thing, just tell me how much it was. But, you know, I had to do unit conversions. Some people weren't always there. To me, it was no problem. And it's so much—it's so much easier because nobody had to worry about who's paying what, now when you know—is it fair or not? So, maybe it's much easier.
1: And here's how John describes what he sees when he walks through his house. There's a material want
0: in the eight, and material like security. If I look at like a lot of my. And again, this is me being vulnerable. And like, when I hear myself say these things, I'm like, that's gross, but I'm just being true. I'm just being truthful. Is like, I have two main goals. One is like for my kids, I've got certain like goals for them in the sense of like, not what they do, but just like my parenting goals for them. Like I, I have that. And then I have like my personal goals. And a lot of that is like around like material things. I like certain things and I'm by God, I'm going to figure out how to get it. Whether it takes another 30 years, I still want to be able to say I did it. <laughs> like that's a big thing for me. We remodeled our kitchen a couple years ago. Wyatt started planning that a decade ago when that thing got done. It was like, a milestone for me because literally I went like eights I can't speak for all eights but for me I wake up every morning and I walk through my house and I immediately look at everything that needs to be upgraded or changed you just name it like that's how I go through my day is looking at all the things I need to make better I like goals and I like deadlines and I like to be thinking about future plans and so like that is a lot of security for me. When I don't have that, then I feel like I'm just kind of like in limbo. Whether it's picking out the movie,
1: being tapped for leadership roles at work, volunteering to keep track of expenses, or imagining how to make something better, The Eight is filling the void and taking charge. The simplest way to understand the passion of The Eight, lust, is to imagine filling a balloon to capacity. The Eight fills the leadership void, but as John said, sometimes he doesn't leave space. Ashley shares about the feedback that she received at work.
2: So I am super outgoing, and so that was always a plus. I very much kind of compartmentalized some of those things, so the feedback I would receive is, your leadership style is intense. And people can feel like you are not approachable or they are intimidated by you because of your intense, your level of intensity. And I'm like, well, it is intense. It's important. We have to get it done. It has to be right. And so in my mind, I was like, well, this is good feedback. So tell me more. I have had to just learn to dial that back because situationally, not everyone is like that, but. In my earlier years of leading, I definitely received a lot of feedback around that. Good, I mean, good and bad, right? Like, we like the level of intensity. We like that you're so hungry to make sure it's right and great and and everything. But we just also need you to make sure that everyone is not super freaked out by you.
1: Eights are
0: often surprised by how other people perceive them. Here's John sharing about his experience. Um, I was telling Kristen last night, I said, you know, my whole life, especially in my like schooling days, I had so many teachers and friends just say, "Um, why don't you smile? Or like, you don't smile. Like, are you happy or are you okay? Like I always got the question, are you okay? And it drove me insane because it's like, yes, I'm great. Sorry I don't walk around the world with just a big grin on my face. I think that's odd. Eights can be misunderstood in, in where they stand with friends. I've had two good friends recently just talking about types or whatever. There's always some times when I'm around you and I'm like, does he like me? And I'm like, really? I th- You're one of my favorite people. Just understanding, like, the eight vibe that I put off of, like, I'm constantly thinking about momentum. And so I can run people over. I'm just very direct. The holy idea of the eight is holy truth.
1: And for them, it's one thing. Their singularity of mind and preference for wanting to hear the truth and speak the truth makes them different from other people. Eights value direct, concise talk. Here's Dave's experience as a leader of an engineering firm.
3: So I work with, you know, our marketing department. And at the beginning, it seems like often when we've hired marketing people, they want to write, you know, sort of a fluffy paragraph about something. And I feel like a lot of engineers are far more this way. Not that engineers are but but really don't want to read a fluffy paragraph. They really want bullet point information.
1: Ashley describes her style
2: bullet points. And everything is linear. If it if it could all be color-coded, organized from start to finish, that would be amazing. I know that that doesn't always happen, but that is how I like to communicate. Everything needs to be really nice, neat, wrapped in a bow. I don't need paragraphs. I need bullets. I need you to tell me what you need or what you want. Get in, get out and move on.
1: Eights, by nature, are a self-referencing type. Their outlook on the world comes from within. It doesn't necessarily mean selfish. It's just a personality style and defines a sense of who they are. The challenge for the eight is to get outside of themselves.
3: This is how Dave describes his aha moment. Well, my wife has lots of stories about this. (laughs) So I, I just remember when we got married, we're on our honeymoon, and we're at a restaurant in Florida. The restaurant was over air conditioned. We walk in; it's really cold. She brings probably a sweater. I'm in short sleeves and shorts, and I'm like, "Man, let's not be in here, or whatever." And she kind of looks at me, and I realize in that very moment that. No decision is just my own now. <laughs> and and the, every decision regarding what my wife and I, Marcy, are gonna do is ours to make, not just mine to make. And now, was that ever a revelation?
1: And here's what John shares about what he's learned in his marriage.
0: And I think it honestly is has to do with my partner <laughs> um, and her ability, because she's direct, To call things out. You know, she has a bullshit meter as well. Being in a relationship for 25 years with someone like that and like learning and like she's obviously she's growing as well in a different way to be able to communicate better. And I'm learning to receive things better. And so, you know, after 25 years of that, like we're in a place where like she can call something out to me and I don't just completely lose my mind. Or deny it. There are times where I still might do that. But it's gotten better now to where, you know what? You're right. I'm just going to sit. And the interesting thing about that is when I find myself pausing and admitting limitation, it's very freeing. Like, it can be. It can be very freeing where you're like, oh, you know what? I don't care like I don't I don't care how this resolves now like because like this kind of feels good not to be trying to control because it because I think for the eight even though they want to be in control it's exhausting.
1: Ashley had shared with me that she usually only felt two emotions happy or angry Listen to how becoming a parent offered her the opportunity to open up.
2: Probably one of the most emotional things for me was when I got married because I became a wife but also a stepmom at the same time. I like married and had a family. Um, So that kind of brought a whole other set of emotional circumstances, which was really cool. But I think as an eight in a situation like that, being equipped for feelings with the kids were, you know, five and six, it was really hard. And I honestly didn't know how to do it. And so I think like, I think back to a couple of times where like the kids are just crying their eyeballs out. And I'm like, looking at Lee, like, what, like, what's happening, you know, like, what's going like, what's wrong, like, what's wrong. And, you know, again, my like, happy, angry and so i'm like what is this thing that's you know like what's happening and so um i i think that there were a couple of those situations where i was sort of like moved to tenderness i think just the responsibility of caring for somebody other than yourself pulls an eight out of that idea that feelings don't matter and you it's you have to be okay all the time, and you have to do it all yourself, and you just literally move beyond yourself to something different. So I think parent, you know, becoming a stepmom um, and becoming a wife were probably two of the best things that could have ever happened to me.
1: That's it for this episode of the Story Enneagram Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is an aide who both knows and communicates what they want, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to have clarity about life's many choices? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer Enneagram team building experiences and training for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story.